Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep, the typewriter by David H. Keller, M.D. This is first published in Fanciful Tales of Time and Space, uh, Fall 1936. This is Volume One, Issue One. Um, on the table of contents, they promise. Uh, believe this is Dwayne Rimmel's magazine. Uh, he promises in future issues we have stories by the above authors, and that includes uh, August Derelith, David H. Keller, Robert E. Howard, Dwayne Rimmel, H.P. Lovecraft, Donald A. Walheim, somebody named Kenneth B. Pritchard, uh, and more Judgment of Nethris by J. Harvey Haggard, The Psycho Traveler by Ralph Milne Farley, The Escape by Robert Block, and numerous others. And then there was never another issue, and none of those stories have ever been published. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're sure that... I mean, Robert Block was a pretty successful writer, so uh, my Here's, guess is that The Escape came out with it under another name. That, that'd be my guess. But the problem is um, The Escape coming out under another name... Uh, we'd have to we'd have to find it out, and then none of the other ones. The Psycho Traveler, there's nothing under that title by Ralph Milne Farnley, and he wrote a bunch of other stuff. The Escape by Robert Block and Judgment of Nethris by J. Harvey, he also wrote a bunch of other stuff. So it's possible that these were done by commission. Um, in which case, you know, yeah, I'll write your story. Uh, I, I got an idea about it, but he never actually wrote it. Or yeah, it came out later, or it just was, it was delivered through the mail to Dwayne Rimmel, and he never published it, which you know has happened. There's um, it's happened to me. But, yeah, and in the days when you know you don't have a digital receipt, if you don't make a carbon, you don't have that story, right? Right. So, right. Uh, I th- I thought that was pretty interesting. The uh, the other stories in here, uh, Nameless City, has been republished many times. Um, the other ones, I'm not so sure about. Uh, I would assume that August Derelith was. But this story has never been republished anywhere except in reprints of this issue of the magazine. Um, so I would presume all the typos that are in this one, which is pretty funny. They're terrible. They're terrible. Really bad. Um, like the... R with two with three E's or something. <laughs> Some, yes. And a repeated, repeated mistakes. Like it's a perseveration of the typewriter or the person typing it. Um which yeah. is pretty funny again considering the title the title story. Um, Some of the type exactly. As is this whole discussion we're having about whether or not stories that you that you create and send in uh, yeah. actually work. And the word sequel spelled wrong. Uh, there's well, many a, things are spelled wrong, including a, the name of an author. There's a, a word, missing word. Angelica, Angelica Lemoreau came you. I would assume it's from you. Uh, I think there's actually a missing line in here at one point. Oh, but, really? Wow. You know, yeah, but... <laughs> so, the typewriter may be... There's many a sw- slip twixt the cup and the lip. Somewhere, David H. Keller, M.D., typed a story called the typewriter and by the time it got typeset it wasn't set 
to be quite the right type. <laughs> yeah, I think Dwayne Rimmel may be responsible for this, but um, I think I'm. Well, let's I'm, hear. Well, let's. Yeah, I'm pleased that he did it, anyways, because we get to tell it now. Then here we go. The typewriter by David H. Keller, M.D. When I married you, I thought that I was going to have a husband, exclaimed Amy Hunting. But instead, I have found only a living death with an author, a slave to a machine. When I married you, I loved you and I still do, replied her husband. I do not see why you should complain about my work as long as I make a living for the two of us. That same old argument, retorted the wife. When we married, you were a bond salesman. Your work brought you into contact with living people in the daytime and with your wife at night. We went places and saw things, played bridge, entertained. We had many mutual interests. Now there are only three interests in your life, reading, thinking, and writing. Everything else that you do, such as eating, talking, dressing, and sleeping, you do only because it is necessary and not because you want to. You begrudge the time spent at meals and you used to enjoy eating. At least I am making a better living than I did selling bonds. You have everything you need and even some luxuries, John Hunting said with a smile. He knew that. It was a hard statement to deny. I was happier when we were poor, his wife cried. Then selling bonds was your vocation and your wife was your avocation. Now I am just a piece of furniture. Our friends used to call me Amy Hunting. Now they refer to me as the wife of the man who wrote The Perpetual Honeymoon. And for every woman who knows you're a married man, there are 10,000 who speak of you as the creator of Angelica Lamoureux, the Wonder Woman, the perfect sweetheart, the modern Lilith, the eternal feminine perfume. 10 million women try to imitate her. 20 million adore her. Her picture is in every home, her image in every man's heart. And because you created her, 50 million men envy you. And as many women feel that because you understood Angelica Lamoureux, you understand them. Perfumed letters, requests for your autograph, invitations for the weekend, requests for lectures. Those are my surroundings. John Hunting looked at his wife. It was not the first time that they had talked over the matter of his national popularity, but it was the first time that he had come to a realization of the real psychology of his wife's reaction. You are jealous, he said slowly, jealous of a character in a book. I believe that your reaction is not unusual. I have read that many authors, from Dickens to Cabell, had similar experiences. Personally, I never could understand it. I understand it less. Why should you feel that way? You spend 24 hours a day with me. Every minute of the time, you know where I am. You open all my mail, and you and the secretary answer all of it. Just what more do you want? You never would understand, she replied, talking slowly as though to a child. If I talked to you a million years in words of one syllable, you never would understand. Putting it just as plainly as I can, the trouble is just this. I am your wife, and I want to come first in your life. If you are happy, I want it to be because you are living with me. You lived with your mother for 27 years, and when she died, I found you. And because I did, I want to keep the perpetual honeymoon. Angelica Lamoureux came you. I think this is one of those missing mm -hmm. lines, Jesse. 
Now you have gone and spoiled it all by learning to peck on a typewriter and by falling in love with another woman. What is the result? You spent a year of days at a typewriter and nights of insomniac imaginations and wrote into your soul and there was no room for Amy hunting. Now you are working on a sequel. You are polite when I speak to you. You answer me, but all the time your spirit is far away with that other woman. Just a character in a novel, a paper woman. I wish I could believe it. Either explanation is terrible. If this is a real woman, then you have been more than false to me. If she's only a figment of your imagination, then you are insane. If she is real, I could fight the issue out to a finish with her. But how could any real woman fight a fantasy? If you loved me as you say you do, you would help me. You would put away your typewriter, stop dreaming of her, go back to selling bonds, pay some attention to me, and show me that you do not love her. John Hunting shook his head. There was a tone of finality as he gave his determined answer. You simply do not understand. Anything I say, you will not understand. This lack of comprehension is the result of your jealousy I always wanted to write. Before I knew my letters, before I knew how to read, I made up little stories and verse. It was an urge. With it came the will to attain. You know how I bought my typewriter. I told you at the time how I saved the money by going without my lunches. But perhaps I never explained to you the reason for buying that special machine. I had to buy it. I went into the pawn shop and told the man that I wanted a machine. He had even forgotten that he had one. I had to tell him where it was. I knew. I had seen it in a dream. This part of the story I cannot blame you for. Not understanding. Because I cannot comprehend it myself. The basic idea is simple. Provided you are willing to believe it. A book had to be written, a heroine created, and I, of all the men in the world, had to write that book, had to create that heroine. I had to do it because no one else could do it, and I could do it only with that particular typewriter, lost in a pawn shop and covered with dust. Separate the typewriter and the man, and nothing would happen in a million years. Place the two in conjunction, and the perpetual honeymoon is given to the world. You remember the day that I brought the machine home, how I would not trust the repairman to take it from the house, how I had to sit and watch every movement that he made, lest in some way he would injure it forever. After it was put in perfect condition, it had to be placed in the proper position, on the right kind of a table, on a bronze and gold velvet scarf. You must remember that day that I resigned from my position as a bond salesman and started to write. There was never a moment of hesitation. The title, the name of the heroine, everything about her, each little twist of her charming personality, every action, conversation, even her dresses were familiar to me because I wrote a word of the book as A, B, C, or 2 plus 2 make 4. I really did not write it. I simply copied it from a book that I could read in the deepest memories of my soul with my eyes shut. There was never any hesitancy, not a moment of doubt. Her name had to be Angelica Lamoureux. How could it be anything else when that, I, when that was her name? 
the book sold. That was a part of the program. There was a publisher waiting. I handed him the book and told him the title. It never occurred to him to reject it. In fact, he seemed to have been waiting for the manuscript. I never met the woman. I do not even know that there is such a woman. But I feel that I know her. At first, I thought that I was her creator. Later, there has come the thought that I am only the mirror that she has used to allow her perfect personality to become known to the waiting world. I may be peculiarly sensitive to vibrations from the spirit world, vibrations not perceptible to other men, so that this spirit of Angelica Lamoureux simply uses me to make her tangible to a world starving for some symbol of perfect love. It has been a year since I finished the book. Since then, she has grown more real to me. For a while, I was not sure, but now I know that I must write another book about her, and this book shall be a better book. I and my typewriter shall write that book, but we shall only put down on the white pages the story of the life of Angelica Lamoureux as she whispers it to me. And that book will give pleasure to the millions who have learned to love the one perfect woman of all the ages. If you write it, you will lose me. I shall divorce you. I am sorry, he replied softly. But if I do not write it, you will lose me anyway, for I shall die of longing and desire to write the story that she has given to my soul. She looked at him an incredulous cunning in her eyes. No other typewriter would do it, would it? You have to use the one you have. Yes, I have to write on that special one. It, in some way, it is definitely entangled with the story and the woman. Suppose we stop talking and have supper, Amy Hunting suggested. She put a sedative in his coffee. Not much but enough to take the edge off his restlessness and to change his insomnia into tranquil sleep. When she put it in the coffee, her only thought was to tear his consciousness away from Angelica Lamoureux for at least a few hours. The real reason did not come to her till he was asleep. Then it occurred to her. Suddenly, she realized how she could once again be happy, even though in the process her husband returned to his former position of selling bonds. She went to the cellar and picked up an axe. It was a very old axe that had not been touched for many years. She went back to her husband's bedroom to make sure that he slept. Then she went down to his library where he kept the typewriter covered with a silk handkerchief. Not daring to take off the cover, she brought the axe down in a single, sullen, savage smash. A cry came, a shrill, piercing scream of a woman in death agony. John Hunting heard the cry, sat up in bed, clasped his bleeding head, then started staggering, twisting, moaning from his bedroom to the library. His wife met him at the door. Someone has killed Angelica Lamoureux, he moaned. And pushing her aside with unseeing arms, he tottered slowly to his desk and dropped on the wrecked typewriter. Finney. <laughs> Finney. Uh, there was one uh, sentence you omitted, um, and it's because the sentence doesn't really even make any sense. It's Correct. I, I did it intentionally. I wrote the boog. 
Yes. <laughs> so, right. uh, if we fixed it to be book, it still doesn't really make a lot of sense because the next right. sentence doesn't say that exactly. Um, right. So, whatever. And I covered over a lot. Of, I mean, James yeah. Branch Cabell is the author who's referred to it. C A B B. It's C A B E L L, but mm-hmm. he's got it here. Is he reverses which consonant is double, which is single. Uh, it's it says vocation. It says writes vacation. Yeah. It should be vocation. Yeah. Um, so I did, in fact, silently try to make it sound a little more like what I hope David H. Keller, M.D., had intended when yeah. he sat down at his typewriter. I wonder if uh, it, it might be possible if if we we went to whatever university has his papers and we dug in there and we found his I doubt he w- would have made all these typos I think this is is in the transcription to the magazine but since this is all we have um, I'm still glad <laughs> we have it because uh, I, I, I just love David Keller's stories because he's he is very psychological and this is a psychological story um, it's described in the uh, uh, table of contents uh, there's a little description for each of the stories here um, it's described as uh, a different story than usual. <laughs> well, what's strange is, you know, this is the first issue of a magazine, so usual for what? Um, it's not exactly a weird tale, uh, but I can see how it might fit into that. But it actually is similar to a story we did back in episode, I think it was 250. Uh, yeah, called Creation Unforgivable which is a similar setup. There's a husband and a wife. They live off in the woods or far away in a small town. Um, And in the backyard, the husband has a shack where he goes to type up his stories. And he uh, goes out there and he types up stories that are so real they cause reality to change. Meanwhile, the wife is like, we need to go to our bridge game. (laughs) I don't know if you meant to say it, Jesse, but... That story is also by David Keller. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> okay. it, 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 it's why I was reminded of it. I remembered the bridge game. Um, and they they went off to the, play this bridge game while he was in the middle of the story, and he was so distracted, he, he was a terrible partner. And so it has the same uh, sort of sense of the marriage being sort of hurt by the husband's obsession with writing. When he should be maybe doctoring and taking things a lot less serious and more focus on the on the wife. That's the sense that we get in the crisis in this story. But um, I also had a reaction near the end when I when she gets the hatchet and she go and I I figured I oh I know what she's going to do. She's going to go wreck his. I guess he should have figured that out too. She's going to wreck his his typewriter and then the marriage will be fixed, right? Um. I, I thought, oh, this is Carrie Nation, um, who's a, a figure from the mid-19th century through to the early 20th century, uh, crusading for anti-alcohol. She was um, trying to, she thought alcohol was a problem. And so she would go around with, uh, first she started with stones, um, and then she she got a hatchet. And we go into bars and just although like, this is an axe, yes, but yes, yes, and she would break open casks of rum, and it was like a kind of a social um, protest 
Uh, and she would get arrested oh, I, for it. She was part of what was called the Temperance League. They were militating to have laws passed that yeah. eventually succeeded prohibition in the United States. Yeah, and uh, her first husband was an alcoholic who drank himself to death. So she, she had like a stake in this, right? Um, and uh, <laughs> when her when her second husband, um, you know, he's bailing her out of prison or jail. And he says, next time you should use an axe and not stones. And she says, that's the smartest thing you've ever said to me as a husband. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, when she would go into bars uh, before she starts smacking open the crates of alcohol, uh, she would say to the bartender, good morning, destroyer of men's souls. Uh, <laughs> there's a kind of like a militance to the... Uh, to the, the my husband has an addiction sort of thing here, and it's hurting our marriage. Um, that sort of reminded me of that, but um, I, I wonder, like, what David Keller's wife would have thought of this story because it is, I think, based on you know those two stories that are about writers who you know go too far. He's obviously taking it seriously, her criticism, but he also wrote a lot. <laughs> There's there's something um, he wrote a lot and he wasn't a he wasn't a full time writer he mm-hmm. had his own medical practice mm-hmm. psycho psychiatric practice which of which he was quite proud um, he he makes reference here as he does in many of his stories to psychology explicitly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I John Clute uh, critic of science fiction um, a very astute critic of science fiction has suggested that that Keller is better for his ideas than his style um, I don't think that's always true in a story like Valley of Bones which we've mm-hmm. discussed um, I think his style is really extraordinary um, here I take it that the style is fairly wooden mm-hmm. but I don't think that it's just conception that's going on here as i tried to think about the underlying psychology i think the story is quite subtle i have no idea whether or not keller being a psychiatrist intended us to understand its subtleties but let me try this on you Mm -hmm. um our guy john hunting who is searching for something right Mm -hmm. um and what he discovers is the friend of love's that is, Lamoureux sounds like it's uh, the amorous. It mm-hmm. sounds like it's fake French for, uh, you know, for love. And Ami is his friend. John Hunting is looking for something. Yes, he wanted to write stories ever since he was a child, but he doesn't actually start doing it until he gets this typewriter, which he gets. We can understand after he is married, mm-hmm. right? So he has begun cohabiting with with his wife and his wife um amy hunting um his wife um seems not to have gotten pregnant instead what has come of the marriage is this hunting for amour mm-hmm. um he has to have a particular typewriter well you know one could suggest that this is uh, supernatural, but it's not unreasonable psychologically for somebody to just feel like these are my lucky socks mm-hmm. or, you know, I mean, so he's got this idea. And then 
with his repressed desire for what the perfect woman would be. After all, he says to his wife that his fictional creation is the most perfect woman of yep. all the ages. What an insult. <laughs> yep. Right? Right. In his his search for the perfect wife, he has to create her. It's no wonder that she feels jealous mm-hmm. because his his attachment to her, the fictional character is a direct affront at the ability of his wife to be a satisfactory partner to him. She's right about that. Mm -hmm. But this is, in fact, a very significant psychological point. Many, many, many husbands feel this after the birth of the first child, when suddenly they are not the most important object of attention Mm. for their wives. Mm -hmm. So this this is a real thing. Now... As I read this, you know, what kind of perfect woman she was, uh, the wife says that she is, um, where is it? I want to, um, the, the thing about the perfume and she's this and I that and it. the other thing. It's Please read it. It's on top of page 29. Uh, Angelica Lamoureux, the Wonder Woman, the perfect sweetheart, the modern Lilith, the eternal feminine perfume. 10 exactly. million women try to imitate her. 20 million adore her. Her picture is in every home. Wow, this is a really successful book. <laughs> it certainly is. And I, I read that, and immediately I thought, uh, well, maybe Keller isn't such a good writer after all, because Lilith um, is a figure of, of Hebrew mythology mentioned in the book of Isaiah, uh, a figure of Hebrew mythology. And um, she is mythologically... Adam's first wife, mm-hmm. who is is ejected from the Garden of Eden for not being obedient to him. Mm-hmm. And she, in fact, is a witch-like character and is sometimes thought of as a she-demon. So if you get running off a list of things that make for the perfect woman, you would not expect her to say Lilith. Mm-hmm. But, but when you get to the end... Not daring to take off the cover, she brought the axe down in a single, sullen, savage smash. She's doing something. She had not expected to do it. Earlier on that page, here's a crucial bit of plot. She put a sedative in his coffee, not much, but enough to take the edge off his restlessness and to change his insomnia into tranquil sleep. Clearly, that was what the wife intended consciously. Mm -hmm. When she put it in the coffee, her only thought was to tear his consciousness away from Angelica Lamoureux for at least a few hours. The real reason did not come to her till he was asleep. In other words, just as John Hunting has an unconscious desire for a woman whom he manifests consciously at the typewriter, Mm -hmm. his wife has an unconscious desire to attack that woman who, after all, lives in his brain and get rid of her. She does not realize what she wants to do. Her unconsciousness arises and creates this this crime. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, supernaturally, she seems to have wounded his skull and he drops on the typewriter. My guess is dead. So it's a very Poe-like ending. It's Mm -hmm. like the ending of the black cat. In goes the axe, boop, the person's dead. However, if that's who she was, if it is her jealousy 
which in fact has made her into the murderer of a man, then the word Lilith was right. Mm. It looked absolutely wrong at first reading, but when we recognize and are given the hint that she does not know her own motivations, Lilith turns out to be right. So looking at the story as a whole, it seems to me it's suggesting that storytelling and story reading, look at all those letters and weekend proposals and so on that come in to hunting, that storytelling, story writing, story reading give us a way of evading reality. And if all of that just gives us a happy fantasy, as it does for the people who love to read the book, that's fine. <laughs> but if it supplants reality, then in fact, fiction is fundamentally dangerous. And for people who cannot create on their own, these people have no children, then it becomes a danger that can be fatal. I think psychologically, this is a very subtle story. Mm. I also like uh, the, I mean, one, one way I, I was thinking about it the first time I read it was, uh, she needs to get a life outside of her husband because <laughs> he's a successful author and he's really good at what he does and everybody says he's great. Um, but she's living a life in which she thinks he should be the main focus of her life. And just as you're saying, you know, when a, a woman has a baby, suddenly the husband is not the main focus. He's focus number two, maybe, um, because the baby's focus number one. Uh, the title of his book uh, about Angelica Lemoreau is The Perpetual Honeymoon. And that's kind of what she wants, too. She thinks that they need to be going out and having fun and delighting in each other. And one of her complaints is, you never go out. You know, we don't go anywhere. It's like right. we're stuck at home, but... I'm not able to have the fun that we should be having on our honeymoon. This perpetual honeymoon for her is a nightmare because she doesn't have that outside. And this Angelica Lemoreau, uh, I, I would guess, it doesn't say in the story, that uh, our uh, Amy Hunting has read the book. <laughs> um, right. uh, it doesn't say, but I would presume she has. And in seeing what he, her husband wants, um, feels inadequate. And in a sense, she thinks she is inadequate. And this is, she, it's actually spelled out ahead, right? If she was a real woman, I would have it out with her. <laughs> right. Um, and <clears throat> because she isn't, he, she has to kill the cheater that's available. And that's the keyboard, which turns out to right. be him in a certain sense. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's dead at the end of the story. So I, I, I really want to know what Mrs. David H. Keller, MD, <laughs> thought of this story when he added it to her. I presume like to know that she sorry. had a really great sense of humor because it is a funny story when you think about I'd it. I'd also like way. to know whether or not they had any children. I do not know Ange the answer to that. Angelica means a messenger. Right. An angel is a messenger, presumably from God. 
Um, Angelica is a messenger. We're getting something down here in the Garden of Eden. And there is a competition between Angelica and Lilith, between, if you like, the message that finally comes for um, Eve to cleave to her husband and eventually bear children, Cain and Abel, and and others who are nameless, but it would seem there are others from the way the text proceeds, uh, Genesis proceeds, Um, and Lilith, who never has children, right? And you notice when, just as you're saying, what it is that that Amy Hunting wants, she wants him to play bridge and go out. Mm -hmm. She doesn't say, don't you think we should start a family? She wants him to sell bonds again, which is, is a promise, right? It's a promise... And it, it isn't the delivery. It's the one day you will get money back from the government because <laughs> you put your money or f- in. From a, or from a corporation or, or whatever. And the, the, right, but it, it's a promise. It is not the delivery. And, and it's derivative. It's yeah. not actual real work again. You can create – you can write a bond or you can write a, a, a fiction. You can lose yourself in the contemplation of future riches or you can lose yourself in the current contemplation of fantasy. It's capitalism versus art. I, I want to uh, throw this line at you and see what you think of it, because I think it's interesting. So this is uh, on the bottom of page 29 going to page um, 30. This is the previous paragraph. If you're happy, I want it to be because you are living with me. That's the wife talking. Now this is the husband. You lived with your mother for 27 years... And when she died, I found you. And because I did, I want to keep the perpetual honeymoon. What do you think about that? Because I think that that, it's almost like he's he's fictionalizing her. I I think it's another mistake in the typesetting. Because if you keep going, it says, Angelica Lamoureux came you. I I think that the the typesetter has screwed things up, and I'm, I'm not... I, I'm willing to to buy the, the the fact of the story that this guy lived for 27 years, his mother died when he was 27, and then Amy found him, and she, he's never been without a woman in his life um, right away. So they, you think you think that that's her talking when she's and because I did want to keep the perpetual honeymoon, um, I. I, I think there's a line missing. I think yeah. whoever t- set the type, there's something missing. I don't know. I think when she, when it says you lived with your mother, it starts out, um, and then at her, and then a couple, three lines later, when it says you have gone and spoiled it by learning to peck at a typewriter, it's still her talking. Mm. So I think the whole paragraph is her talking. I just think we're missing a line, and right. uh, <laughs> you know, in in a way. More than in most of the the stories and poems and videos that we look at together, Jesse, having a missing line <laughs> gives a whole new meaning to the recognition that there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio.